Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. We are super excited you've joined us for this episode as Pastor Casey digs into all things regarding relationships and dating. For more information about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. Man, I'm ready for this message. I'm really excited. Okay, this is going to be an hour message, and it's going to move. Today's message is called Single and Ready to Mingle. Can I get an amen? Single and Ready to Mingle. There is perhaps not a more awkward season of your life than when you're in middle school and you're like right there at that prepubescent age. You know what I'm talking about? except for the age that you're in right now. Thank you. you. That wasn't awkward. You nailed it. (laughs) Except for the age you're in right now. I remember uh, being 12, and that was a terrible, weird, awkward phase because I had like a little bit of acne and oily face and like a unibrow, and I smelled real bad, but I wasn't quite into puberty, and it was just everything about that stage was terrible. But when I was 19, everything about that stage was terrible too. Because the thing is, I was a Christian, and I was old enough to like maybe get married and I'm on the prowl, you know what I mean? Like I'm showing up to youth group, I'm showing up to church like, hey, where's, where's the wife at? Where's she going to be? And I, the thing is, I got saved out of the world when I was uh, 18. So I know how the world does it and I have no idea how the church does it. And so I was making all kinds of mistakes because I'm like going up and just hitting on people like, hey, you want some of this? You know, I love Jesus. You love Jesus. What do you think? And uh, I had to learn uh, that there's some decorum, uh, but it was more cultural. Everything I ever learned about how to navigate the season of being single and ready to mingle, I had to just, I just kind of was taught by the culture of church. I wasn't taught by the word, right? And, and so here's what I want to do. I want to help you navigate tonight the season that you're in, which is this. You're old enough that you could be married both guy, girl, you're, you're 18 probably, 19, 20, 21. Maybe some of you guys are a little bit older. Uh, and you're trying to figure out, okay, how do I actually go about pursuing somebody or being pursued or navigating the awkward like text thing that you guys are all doing? You're just texting each other. And you're like, I don't know if she likes me. Is she doing this with everybody? I don't really know. I'm going to help you navigate all that. And the Bible talks about it. Kind of. I've got 70 verses. Whoa. That we're not going to go through, but we're actually in our series in Genesis. So I didn't have to miss, I didn't have to skip a beat, man. We are in Genesis chapter 24. Genesis 24 is the story of Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. <clears throat> this is not COVID, <clears throat> but I'm going to cough in the middle of this because I've been, I've been screaming a lot lately. Um, that sounds weird. I've just <laughs> been praying and, ah, you know, Jesus, that kind of thing. So... Uh, my throat's a little, my throat's a little rubbed raw. So we're in the story, Genesis 24, of Isaac and Rebekah, and it's a very long, drawn-out story. It is literally like 70 verses, and I am not going to do that to you. I'm not going to read all 70 verses, because as much as I like to read the Bible to you guys, I don't think anybody's hanging. If the preacher reads 70 verses, when I'm, if I'm there, like there, I'm checking out. So what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, here's kind of the way that I've done this, is I've I've taken out all of the non-essential information so you can just see the narrative, and then I'll give some commentary to fill you in on the story, so we'll only end up reading about 20 of those 70 verses. Cool? Awesome. Okay, so before we do that, though, 
I almost have to preach an entire other sermon. I'm going to give you like a five-minute sermonette that is really important because many of you have been taught that you need to be married. Many of you have been indoctrinated in this culture that says that marriage and having the the white picket fence and the beautiful godly kids to come home to is like the goal in life. And maybe somebody's actually said that to you or maybe you've just seen it in the church and therefore have desired it. Is this for my cough? Thank you. That's really thoughtful. You're a lot like Rebecca in this story. So... I don't remember where I was. What was I? Oh, yeah. So maybe you've just absorbed this concept. Uh, but many of you in the room, when you think about living a full life, you think about marriage. You think about family. And uh, I got to be honest with you. Uh, I think the church has done a really poor job of not explaining to you that the New Testament actually encourages you not to be married. So I'm going to, before I just give a, a sermon on how do you navigate this weird season of I'm, I'm single, but I don't really want to be, and I don't have to be in this stage. Uh, I, I want to set the stage by reading 1 Corinthians 7, uh, and I, I want to just give a brief explanation and prove to you that not only is it not weird or awkward to be single, um, that actually uh, I believe that the New Testament would bear out that if you could control your lust, that it's actually the more mature thing to do. Uh, and so we're going to read 1 Corinthians 7. I'll give a little bit of commentary on it, and then we'll get into uh, Isaac and Rebecca. Cool? cool. All right. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians 7. I couldn't read, again, the whole chapter. There's a lot of parentheticals that I just removed, so you guys can just read it kind of straight through. Um, but if you, I'm not taking anything out of context, go read 1 Corinthians 7. You'll, you'll see. This is Paul, and uh, you'll, what you need to know about Paul is he's single. Okay, so he's writing this. He's a single dude. Scholars will tell us he wasn't always single that because of his position in Judaism, chances are he had to have been married. And so what scholars will say, uh, what most scholars think, is that uh, when he gave his life to uh, Jesus, that his wife and children abandoned him. (coughs) So that's where Paul's talking, okay? Here's what he says. Now concerning the things about which you, you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Okay, now, he's not talking about like an, like a, an immorality or anything like that. He's just saying it's good not to be married. Okay? But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. Yet I wish that all men were even as myself I am. However... Each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I have given an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord, is trustworthy. I think then that it is good in view of this present distress. Everyone say this present distress. That's the tribulation, the turmoil that's happening in their culture. That it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. 
So can we all just agree that what he just said is it's better to be single if you can, but don't seek to be removed from your wife if you're married. It's not a sin if you do get married. That's what he just said. We cool with that? Okay. Uh, Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet, this is where the crux is, such will have trouble in this life. And I am trying to spare you. But I want you to be free from concerned. One, or concerned. one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is appropriate. And get this, to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. That's the Bible. The whole idea is this. He goes, listen, things are really tough right now. And the season is really short. Jesus is coming back soon and we're to live as if he's coming back in our lifetime. And so the idea is this, marriage is only temporary. Family is only temporary. When Jesus comes back and we are ruling and reigning and we're in the new heavens and the new earth and we are finally all married to Jesus, not in a weird, creepy way, but like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. (coughs) Vivian, my daughter, Oliver, Charlie, my sons, they're no longer my daughter and sons, they're my sister and my brothers. My wife no longer is my wife, she's my sister. And that's what Jesus said, because the Pharisees tried to like get him. They were like, well, what happens if a man marries this girl and then he gets married again? Who's, whose husband or who's, whose uh, wife is, does he have? And, she, and he, at the end of the day, she goes, she's like, that's ridiculous. Nobody's married in heaven. Right. And the idea is this, this is super important. What Paul here is saying, he goes, listen, time is not only short, but the season of life is really hard and we don't have time to be messing around. And so if you could control your own lust, don't get married and give yourself to the service of the Lord. Because we have one life to live. You and I, we get maybe 60 adult years of our life where we are like really free in this culture. And the idea here is don't waste them. And what I think is really interesting is what he actually says is he goes, the one who's married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife or how she may please her husband. He actually refers to that as being, um, being concerned with the things of the world rather than the things of the Lord. Now, marriage, he says very specifically, he's like, it's not sin. It's fine. Get married. If you can't control yourself, get married. But don't feel like you have to, to live a valuable, full, and joyful life. My wife, oh man, my wife makes me happy. She is a joy. My kids are a blessing, but they are not the source of joy and blessing for my life. And so many preachers, they give the, 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 the single to mingle sermon, they give the dating sermon, they give the marriage sermon, and they forget to tell people, hey, it's okay, you're not weird if you decide to stay single your whole life, as you're actually mature. If you're saying, I can control myself, I don't need an appropriate outlet for my lust, and instead I want to give my life and service to the Lord, God loves that. He loves that. You do not need a husband, ladies, at all, 
to be fulfilled. Men, you do not need a wife to be fulfilled. I promise you, another sinner is going to do nothing to fulfill that little void in your heart. Promise. I'm married. I'm coming up on 10 years. I feel like I'm getting old. I got three kids. I love my wife more than most people love their wives. I know because I just know. Just trust me. I love my wife. But we will both tell you, another human being cannot satisfy you. Only God can. Okay? So yes, this whole sermon is actually about how do you become, uh, or how, how do you get married? How do you do the dating thing? Like, what's the deal? We're going to talk about that. But just know, you don't have to. Come on, bro. Cool? cool? All right. I think it's interesting that we don't do any conferences about how to be single, but like we do marriage conferences left and right. Isn't that funny? It's only American church. Only in American church do we say you're not qualified to lead a ministry until you're married. Jesus, our Savior, was single. Paul, the guy who wrote 13 books in the New Testament, single. The only, I tell this all the time, the only disciple that I'm aware of that actually had a wife was Peter. And let's be honest, if you know your word, Peter does a lot of dumb stuff. If you're going to model yourself after somebody, it's probably not Peter. Just kidding. Just kidding, Lord. He's like, that's my son. All right. So that's 1 Corinthians 7. I just wanted to get that out of the way. Here we go. How do we navigate this weird season that you guys are in? Uh, how do you figure out if it's the right season for you? All that kind of stuff. We're not actually going to talk dating advice We're gonna, or relationship advice. I'm going to just figure out how do you navigate this as being single and being like 2021. So um, here's the idea. Abraham in this story, he is uh, old and he's getting ready to die. The last thing that we looked at was he uh, was getting ready to sacrifice Isaac per the request of the Lord. Remember that sermon? That was like a really intense, like suffering sermon, right? So, so that was the last time we've seen Isaac. Abraham is now old and he wants to take a wife for his son, Isaac. And the Lord gives him very specific instructions. The Lord says, you're not allowed to take a wife from the land that you're in, which is Cain in the promised land. He goes, I actually want you to take a wife for him from your homeland, so here's what Abraham does. He calls his servant to him. And his servant, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. I'm going to go Eliezer, but I don't really know. We're just going to call him the servant in the this, in this sermon. Uh, the servant comes over and, and Abraham starts telling him, hey, listen, I need you to go find a wife for Isaac. It's time. But the Lord's told me it can't be, she can't be from here. She needs to be from home. And, and, and then the, the servant comes up to him and he's like, okay, well, what happens if she doesn't want to leave her home? And he's like, listen, she has to leave her home because God's promised to give Isaac this land as an inheritance in his kids and in the generations to come. So she has to be here. But if you can't find anybody who's willing to come, you're off the hook. Don't worry about getting married. God will figure it out. Right? And so that's the story. <clears throat> so the servant says, okay, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go back to that land, the land that they left like 20 years before. And he's going to look for a spouse. Now, I'm going to read this. And I'm going to make nine observations about this story. That's all we're going to do. We're just going to give you just observations about this story. I will use Abraham, Isaac, and the servant interchangeably in all of these points. I'll say something like, Isaac was looking for this. Now, in the narrative, you need to know Isaac is still in Canaan, right? But the servant is looking on Isaac's behalf. 
Does that make sense? So I'll, I'll say things like that throughout this whole sermon. That's what I'm talking about, okay? So the servant's going to go get, he's going to go back to the land of the, I don't remember, the Chaldeans, whatever it is, Mesopotamia, and uh, he is going to find a wife for Isaac. All right, you guys ready? Here we go. Genesis 24, starting in verse 10. Then the servant took 10 camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good, uh, good things of his master in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. So now he's in that city. Okay. He says, Oh Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink and who answers, drink and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. So fellas, that should be your qualification right there. If she's not willing to feed your camels, don't even entertain the idea. Before he had finished speaking, so he's praying. Before he's finished praying, behold, Rebekah, who was born uh, to Bethuel, 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 the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please, let me drink a little water from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. She quickly lowered her jar uh, to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw. And she drew for all his camels. Now, just a side note. It was 10 camels. Camels drink like 20 gallons of water apiece. So just get the story right in your head. This is not just a minor inconvenience. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel, two bracelets for her wrists weighing 10 shekels in gold and said, whose daughter are you, please? Tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? It's a pretty amazing story. What's going to happen is she's going to say, yeah, there's plenty of room where I live. Let me take you back to my home. Uh, and she introduces the servant and the giant caravan to her mother and her brother. And her brother's name is Laban. And Laban sees that, that she's got new jewelry on and, and she, she runs in and she starts telling Laban, hey, this is what's happening. I think this guy wants me to marry his daughter or is this son, whatever. Well, daughter, that'd be weird. <laughs> right? And then Laban gets invited for dinner, but he says, this is really cool of him. He goes, actually, I don't want to take your dinner until I tell you why I'm here. And so this is why this story is 70 verses, because the dude doesn't stop talking. 
He hits everything. This is who Abraham is. This is what God said to Abraham. This is who Sarah is. She used to be Sarah. Let me tell you why. This is all about the son, Isaac. And then he recounts literally the exact instructions that we just read right up top where Abraham was like, hey, put your hand under my my thigh and I want you to make this vow that you're going to go and take somebody. He explains the whole story. To Laban and to Bethuel. And then we pick up in verses 50 and 53. Now, he's just recounted everything. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, this matter comes from the Lord. So we cannot speak good or bad. Here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant uh, heard their words, he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. The servant brought out articles of silver, articles of gold, garments, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and her mother. And after this, they begin to basically party all night long, and they have to figure out what's going to happen. Uh, how long is it going to take Rebecca to leave? Like, should Rebecca leave now? Should it be like, hey, why don't you stay a little while? They offer 10 days. And essentially what they decide is, let's let Rebecca decide since, you know, she has a say-so in this. And Rebecca decides, I, I don't want to wait. I want to go now. And so Rebecca and the servant, they, they get on this caravan and they start the journey to go back home to meet Isaac. And now the story shifts and we go and we see what Isaac's doing, okay? So the story picks right back up. As soon as she, like, as she's like leaving and then cut scene, we see Isaac. Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards the evening. And he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, camels were coming. Rebecca lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. She said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, he is my master. Then she took her veil. She covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother, Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. Thus, Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. It's a pretty sweet story. That's it. That's basically the 70 verses condensed. Okay. Let's get into the observations. This is important. Number one. Yeah, here we go. Number one, quick observations of the text in Genesis 24. There's nine of them, I think. Number one, the potential spouse had to meet certain requirements. Abraham didn't just say, go pick anybody. As a matter of fact, the Lord didn't say, go pick anybody. The Lord gave very specific, very clear requirements. She is not to be from this land. She is to be from my homeland. Did you guys catch that? Now that's, I, that's a little silly. I'm not saying that should be your requirement because that would be ridiculous, right? But the point is you need to have some standards as you're trying to figure this whole thing out. There's at least three that I can give you that are like non-negotiable standards that I think you should have. One of them, I can clearly back up in scripture. Two of them, I can just back up through experience. Okay, so that's full disclosure. Here's the first one. Uh, They need to be a Christian. Oh, oh, amen. But you have no idea how many times 
people in this room or people outside of this room who have sat in this room before you have amened a point like that in the sermon. Then they meet somebody at GGC or their high school. And all of a sudden, well, he has a cross necklace. It worked. It's okay. Yeah, he's, he, goes, he, goes, he goes to church. And I'm like, I didn't ask you that. Is he, is he a Christian? Well, I really think he has a lot of potential to be. I've gotten that before. And I'm like, what are you, you're a missionary now? You're a missionary to the, unlaw, to the, to the unsaved? And you're just going to go date somebody for the sake of getting their salvation? That's ridiculous. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It just says don't do it. It's New Testament. You shouldn't even entertain the idea of being with somebody if they are not a Christian. Now, the second thing I would tell you, now I said I don't have Bible for this one, but this one makes a lot of sense, so you just need to trust me. They need to be equally zealous and committed to the Lord as you are. It does not count that they wear the cross necklace, they got baptized when they were a baby, and they try not to drink. That's not a Christian. I'm talking about somebody who has zeal for the Lord and commitment to the word. That's super important. That's the second one. The third one I would say that you need, the standard that you need to look at and not compromise on would be they probably need to be in the same theological camp as you. Now, let me just explain to you why. You can imagine you're sitting down and you're getting ready to say grace with your sweet white picket fence family. And your wife, who is a God-fearing, Reformed Baptist who loves Jesus in the Word very much, and you are one of the really freaky Christians, she looks at you as the husband, and she says, say grace, and you go, can you imagine how weird that would be? Now, that's kind of tongue-in-cheek, obviously, but here's the idea. If you're married to somebody who, yes, is a Christian, but thinks you're of the devil because you speak in tongues... You can see where that would be problematic. Now, I didn't need to be, you don't need to be all on the same page uh, theologically. Uh, there was a season where I was like a diehard Calvinist. My wife, diehard Armenian. Doesn't really matter. There was a season I was pre-trib. I was really uninformed. She was post-trib. She was much more informed. <laughs> Those things don't matter as much. But when you're talking about things like, hey, how does the Holy Spirit operate? You really need to be on par with that because the Holy Spirit's a member of the Trinity. And you definitely wouldn't fudge on how does Jesus operate? You know what I'm saying? Okay. So you probably need to have the same theological um, understanding. Some of you have never even thought about having standards and a vision for the person that you're supposed to marry. But I want to challenge you. You need to have standards and a vision for that. I gave you three. That's like, that's the bare minimum. There's probably some things in your life uh, that you really value and you feel like the Lord gave you and you don't need to compromise on those and you don't need to be with somebody who's going to force you to compromise on those. Let me give you a really good one. Some of you ladies, you feel like you're called to be a missionary. You feel like you are called to go give your life overseas. But there's a guy who perhaps is interested in you who's like, I want nothing to do with that. Don't even entertain it. Because if God's telling you to be a missionary and he doesn't want to be a missionary, you're going to have to, it just forces you to compromise. Either you're going to disobey what God said, right? Or you're going to disobey what he wants, right? You're going to dishonor him in some way. And so we don't want to do that. So you need to really be thinking in this season, hey, what's really important to me? What are the God-given things that I value? And I'm not willing to compromise on those. 
Cool? Get a vision. Ladies, think about, you probably already do this, but think about the kind of man that you want to marry. Men, think about the kind of person that they want to marry and be that person. Seriously. So in this story, Rebecca had to meet certain requirements, and she did. Glory to God. Get a vision for your relationship. Ladies, I will say this. Um, you need to have realistic standards. Okay? Everybody wants Prince Charming. He's not 20. Okay? So if you're wanting to marry a 20-year-old, understand that you're just, you're, the reality is there's going to be some growth that's going to have to happen. Most 20-year-olds don't act like they're 30 because they're 20. And so as you are, fellas, the same thing goes for you as you're getting a vision for who this person is. You need to have realistic standards. But listen, don't compromise on the standards. Even Abraham didn't do that. Remember when, I, or when, when the servant goes, well, what if I can't find someone to come back here? Should I take Isaac and go there? And he goes, nope, just let it die. Because he understood the reality that it's better to be single than it is to lower your standards and be married. Don't settle. I promise you, it's not just going to probably go away with time. Cool? All right. Observation number one, observation number two. Isaac was actively looking for a bride and not just waiting for her to fall into his lap. Okay, okay. It is okay, fellas, and I'm going to be honest with you, ladies, it is okay to pursue someone. It's totally okay. It's okay to walk into church and to go, maybe she's going to walk through the door today. Maybe I'll see him today. Maybe, maybe I'll see him for the first time. Maybe my future husband or my future wife is here. That's totally normal, and that's totally okay. Abraham discerned it was time, so let's go pursue. Does that make sense? So if you have discerned, and we're going to talk about this in a second, if you have discerned that it's the season for you to have your eyes open, keep your eyes open, and it's okay to pursue. But here is really where it gets uh, uber tricky, and a little dangerous because I've seen people who take this really far and they go, okay, I feel like it's time to pursue. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm okay by the Lord to potentially pursue a relationship that leads to marriage. And so you start to pursue everybody. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Listen, and you're texting this girl and you're texting this girl and you're texting this girl and you're going out to dinner over here and, and you're doing it and you're just, you're just, listen, you're not malicious about it. I get it. You're just a guy and you're kind of dumb. <laughs> Been there, remember? That was me. I told you that was my story, right? You being allowed to pursue. In this case, Isaac is the one who goes and pursues a woman. He had very clear standards. He said, it's time. Let's go pursue. You're allowed to do that, but that is not an excuse to go around hurting people, to leading people on, to play in that really weird, awkward, are we friends, are we more than friends, what do we do? Dude, listen, that tears apart a church more than anything. That tears apart the body more than anything. When you got that weird, undefined, what are we doing? And so what I want to do is I want to give you, um, I just want to give you a, a very practical thing. Uh, in this case, Isaac said, hey, I want to go pursue somebody. I want you to take note. It was the first person that he pursued. It was not the 10th person. Okay? So Isaac was actually, in this case, the servant was led of the Lord. And it says that multiple different times that he was led of the Lord, right? Found the person, and then they made a commitment and a covenant together. 
Now, it probably is not going to be the first person for you. Perhaps it will. I really hope it will. But when you start playing the game, and here's the game. You guys, have, you've done the church events together. You've, you're, you're hanging out in your little groups, and you're looking at each other, and, and then you move over to texting each other, and, and now you're texting each other a lot, but it's not maybe super close things, but you're just texting each other a lot. At that point, you probably need to go ahead and bring some clarity. Okay? That goes on both sides. Fellas, I'm looking at you because women want to see that you're brave and courageous. So here's what this looks like, I'm very practically. You're in that weird season. You guys are trying to figure out what's going on. You're trying to read each other. Before your heart gets super engaged and super invested, you probably just need to send off a text that says, hey, I've really enjoyed our friendship, but I, I just want to be super clear. That's really all I'm looking for right now. Or, hey, I've really enjoyed our friendship. Would you like to grab dinner? That's okay. You're allowed to go grab dinner with somebody. You're not allowed to sleep with that person. Let me be very clear. But in an effort to say we don't want you guys to be promiscuous, we're like, don't have, don't have dinner. You can have dinner. There's, a, there's quite a bit of a gap that happens <laughs> between dinner and you're in bed. Okay? So you can go have dinner. You can go have coffee together. But you need to probably give some clarity on the front end because, listen, I, I watch this happen. People will talk and they will text each other for like six months and then they're misreading each other and then they're going, they're talking to all their friends and their friends are misreading everything and then I get to sit down and do couples counseling with a, with a couple that's not a couple. <laughs> I learned this term. I don't want to use it because it's relevant. It may not be relevant anymore, but the whole DTR, define the relationship, that's actually really helpful. Clarity is helpful. So when you guys are in that weird stage and you're like trying to figure out, okay, am I pursuing this person? That's okay. Get a little close to them. Start to get to know them a little bit. See what they're like in church. That's awesome, right? Go out to the events. Go play volleyball. Go to house church. Go to bowling. I don't care. Hang out. Get to know each other. But if you start to see, oh, wait a second. I'm in this season. I think I might want to pursue this person. Just say it. And here's the deal. Don't be a coward. Men, and ladies, it's totally okay for you to say it. I'm just going to tell you. The Bible does not bar you from that. Don't be a coward and don't be offended. Okay? Don't be offended. If somebody says, hey, I just want to be your friend, just be their friend. But if you're having that conversation on the front end, you can enjoy friendship with a little bit more freedom, right? So, so but this is what can happen. You can just imagine this situation, okay? Use me and Kristen as an example. Imagine we're not married. We're like, we're like you guys. We're, we're hormonal 20-year-olds, and we love Jesus, but we don't know what to do, right? We're texting each other, right? And I say on the front end, you know, maybe we've been texting for a few weeks. Hey, I've noticed we've been texting a lot. Uh, I, I just want to, do you think this is going anywhere? How do you feel about grabbing dinner? Or are we just hanging out as friends? That gives her the response to go, ah, we're actually just hanging out as friends. And you just respond, that's great. I appreciate you letting me know. And you don't be weird and you don't be awkward about it. That's okay. Amen? Amen. Vice versa, though, ladies. So I'm going to tell you my story. We were doing the weird texting thing. I didn't know what to do. Texting was honestly still kind of a new thing, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to figure out the rules in the church because I just got saved like two years before this. 
right? And we're three years before that. And so we're texting and I'm like, I just remember racking my brain going, is she just being nice? Because she's a Christian and Christian women are just nice. So of course she's going to just, of course she's going to text me back. Like that would be a really rude thing to not, you know, to, to, to do. So I didn't know what to do. And like you, I was like, I ain't touching that with a 10 foot pole. I'd rather be do this and, and, and keep hope alive than have hope crushed. And so after about three weeks, she was like, she literally sent me a text message that started like this. Look, comma, I don't play games. And I was like, she doesn't play games. She, and she just, she said, she said this, this, she goes, clearly there's something here. Don't be an idiot. Let's talk about it. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that was super easy. That makes, that makes total sense. And so we got on the phone after a few weeks of this. We decided we we're gonna get married. 10 years later, here we are. Now, it shouldn't happen probably that fast for you, but that's legit basically what happened for us. All right. Take her out to dinner, get to know her, but be intentional about it, and don't be offended if it doesn't go your way. And fellas, I'm gonna give you another tip. You ready? Guess who's paying for dinner? You. You are not allowed to hurt somebody in your pursuit. And I want to be very clear about that. Um, and here's one of the ways that you can do that. In this kind of weird beginning stage where you're, you know, maybe you're going to dinner, right? And going to dinner, by the way, is not a marriage vow. Only in church does that seem to be a marriage vow, right? You can actually go to dinner. You can go to the movies. You can go hang out, have a few dates, and not be madly crazy in love. You do not have to invest your heart and it's the weirdest thing. It's only Christians who do this. I don't know why we do this, but we are so quick to give our heart away. We are so quick. And I think it's because like we grow up in the church and we're like, you know, no, we know, you know, that's bad, 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 bad. But then we're like, oh, I can do this. This is great. And then one girl's like, yeah, I think you're pretty cool. And you're like, I love you. And I can't live without you. You're my answered prayer. You're my guardian angel. Listen, as Christians, this is for everybody. As Christians, we do not follow our heart. We lead our heart. Your heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. And I've watched more people fall, more people bail on the faith, and more people bail on the calling that God had on them because they fell in love at the wrong time with the wrong person because they didn't lead their heart. They followed their heart. And so here's what you need to do. You need to watch what you share. The quickest way for you to give your heart away prematurely is to start, is to start sharing really intimate things. To start being super vulnerable. You can go to dinner without being super vulnerable and still get a read on if you think this is the Lord or not. You can go to dinner, hang out, have coffee, talk about the Lord, talk about some surface things, talk about maybe even some mid-level things without giving your heart away. And that's probably where it needs to stay until you've figured out, yeah, I think this is the one and, and, and I want to really pursue this. Cool? Okay. Thank you. Um, here's the other observation. <laughs> Isaac had something to offer. Do you remember I told you about the whole discerning the time? Like, I think this is the right time I should be looking. This is one of the primary things. Fellas, do you have something to offer? In this scenario... <laughs> <laughs> that 
That's not true because you're honest. And that pays the bills. Immediately in this story, upon Rebecca answering the prayer and, and, and bringing water to the camels, immediately the servant gives gold and jewelry and then proceeds to tell the rest of the story to her family. And then when she says yes, gives her more. And that just tells me that Isaac has something to offer. Now look, here's what this looks like. Having something to offer spiritually, having something to offer mentally, emotionally, financially. All of those things are important. And I'm just going to be honest with you. This, is, this, is, this may sound like I'm being silly, and it also may sound like I'm rebuking you. I'm not necessarily trying to do either one. But my fear uh, is because our environment is the way it is, like we're like super intense about Jesus, amen, is that we're breeding people who are really, really strong in the spiritual department, but they don't have mental <laughs> maturity, emotional stability, this is not just men, by the way. They don't have mental maturity. They don't have emotional stability. They don't have financial responsibility. And so what we'll see is there's, there, there could be a, a huge you know, plethora of men who can, who can pray until there's divots in the floor, but they live at mom's house at 23, and they don't have a job, they don't have drive, and they don't know where they're going. That's not okay. Now, I applaud you for the spiritual part. And you don't need to compromise on that. But I just want to free you up. You can actually have all of those things. It's a, you can actually be emotionally stable. You can be mature in your mind and have uh, mental health. Like, like, like you're actually healthy. You know what I mean? You can have finances in the bank and work really hard and also pray divots into the floor. And I'm going to tell you, this is the secret. That's actually what the ladies are looking for. So if you, won't want, if you don't want to be single anymore, that's one of the things that you need to do. I'm going to ask you something. Do you have something to offer? Are you a producer or are you a consumer? Do you walk into this thing as an asset or do you walk into this thing like somebody who's just going to suck resources? That's a real question. And if the answer to that question is, is really no... It's okay to feel the sting of that. It's no shame. Like you're young, right? If the time was going to be to be that way, it'd be now. If you were like that at 30, we'd had some issues. <laughs> but if the answer to that is no, then you don't even entertain the idea of being in a relationship because you're not ready. And do not think that, again, adding another weird hormonal, also probably not ready, sinner to your life is going to bring you mental health and emotional stability. It's not going to work. Okay, so these are things as a single person, especially as, the man, as a man, because I can speak to the men, right? That's what you need to be going after. Do you have something to offer? If the answer is yes. If you're like, actually, I'm, I'm pretty spiritually grounded. I know the word. I'm not perfect in it, but I know it and I'm committed to it. And I, I'm zealous for the Lord. And I have good work ethic and I'm willing to, I'm willing to work two jobs. I'm, I'm willing to, uh, to be up early in the morning to be at the prayer room so that I can go to my job at seven. I save well, I give well, I'm, 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 I'm biblically responsible with my finances. 
You're not living in the emotional roller coaster like today you're in the depths of despair and then here you're on the high of highs. You're not second guessing your self-esteem every second of the day. If, if that's you, then I would say, hey, you actually may be ready and be free. You can be that at 20. I've seen 19-year-olds. I've seen 18-year-olds who are like that. Now, varying degrees, but I've also seen some 30-year-olds who don't have a lick of those things. And I really don't want you to be like that. Amen? Maybe like Isaac. Have something to offer. Your job is not to consume everything in the, in the relationship. Your job is not to, are you the one pulling on all the emotional bandwidth? Are you the one having the breakdowns? Are you the one blah, 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 blah? That not, that's not okay. That's okay to do that while you're single because it only affects you. And you should work those things out now while you're single. Like now's the time to work it out. I'm not rebuking you for having those issues. I had those issues. I'm just saying you probably need to work through those before you get in a relationship. Amen? Okay. Ladies, I just want to remind you that you too are called to be a producer. That's not like a men-only calling. That's a human being calling. We were all created to be producers. And so listen, I don't think there's any of you like this, but just because I just threw a bunch of shade on the dudes, let me just throw some shade on you. That is, you are not allowed to just show up into the marriage and be like, I have absolutely nothing to offer. Give me everything. <laughs> Pay for my food, pay for my gas. I want you to, to, to just serve me. That's wicked. You will also be single, okay? <laughs> you guys need to come in with this thing knowing I actually have something to offer and something to put on the table. And it's not arrogant and it's not prideful. I don't want you to be arrogant or prideful, but you just need to have a little bit of like, yeah, I, I can do this. Cool? All right. I love you very much, all of you. Um, notice what I didn't say. I told you mental health or, or mental stability and emotional stability and financial stability, all those things are like really important. But you notice what I didn't say. I didn't say that you need to have all your baggage worked out before you get into a uh, relationship. Thank you. <laughs> I too have a ton of baggage. <laughs> I didn't say that. You don't have to have your baggage worked out. You don't have to have your, your life planned out. You don't have to have a certain number of, of, of a certain, uh, you know, certain amount of money in the bank. You don't have to graduate college first. You don't have to be on your career path first. None of those things are going to be the things that break your relationship. It's all going to be the things that I talked about. Do you have drive? Are you mentally stable, emotionally stable? Are you a producer? Do you bring somebody to the table? Are you so committed to the word that, yeah, you may be wrong at stuff, but you're at least willing to, to be teachable and you're going to submit yourself to this thing? Okay. That was point three. We got nine points and I got 15 minutes. And Isaac, number four. Here's Thank you, guys. Here's the fourth observation. Isaac was guided by the prayer and, or by prayer and the prophetic. What's interesting, I love this. The servant... He puts out uh, what we commonly call a fleece for the Lord. He gets on his knees and he goes, okay, Lord, I'm going to ask one of these women to give me something to drink. And whoever responds by giving me a drink and then going the extra mile and saying, I, I want to feed, I want to I uh, uh, give drink to your camels, which is, again, it's 10 camels. That's a big thing. He goes, let, let her be the one. Let that, be the, that, let that be how I know that you're answering the prayers of my master. And that's exactly what happens. And uh, I'll just tell you that uh, 
he had his eyes open, but he really allowed the Lord to show him who it was. And if, you're, if prayer and the prophetic has no place and you're searching for a spouse, you're probably going to miss out. Because if, if you don't do that and you don't start with that and you don't kind of keep that central, if you're not going, okay, Lord, what do you want? Who is it? Then you're probably going to be just going after whatever you want. And that may be okay. Like, that's totally okay. And I, there's probably people in the room where you're like, I should only marry the person that I want to marry. Okay, we'll see how well that works out for you. Because I'm going to tell you now at 20 years old, you probably don't really know what you need. God does. God knows where you're going to be two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. He's going to know all of your struggles, all of your weaknesses, all of your strengths. And if God can tell you what college to go to, he probably can tell you who he wants you to marry. Right? Now, it may be a prophetic sign in the sky where like an angel comes down and, she's, and he's like, that's the one. It may be. Or it may just be a bunch of little tiny confirmations that you're like, there's no way this could be coincidence. This just, this is right. But you got to leave room for prayer and the prophetic. Now, you're probably going to get it wrong. You just will, right? You're going you're gonna to mess up. You're going to zig when you should have zag. Uh, but I really think that if you keep this thing central, prayer and prophecy, Lord, show me who it is. Maybe put out a fleece that you'll know. And here's one of the cool things that I've, I've had the benefit of this. Every marriage that I've seen that I've wanted to emulate has this at the center. Now, they may not even use the word prophetic, but it's prophetic, right? Now, that doesn't mean you're, you have to be, you have to have like a super prophetic thing happen to you. doesn't mean that at all to have a successful marriage. But everyone that I've seen that I wanted to emulate had this. And, and I had this. I was so grateful. The Lord confirmed it through some crazy, amazing stuff and then through some just like little subtle things. But I just felt the Lord in it, right? And so did Kristen, very clearly. That's why we're married. But here's what it did. It gave me uh, a benefit that I walk in that a lot of other people don't walk in who walked into their marriage without really seeking the Lord, maybe being like, God, will you just bless us, but I'm going to do what I want to do. And here's what it is. When things get difficult, I never question whether I made a mistake. When Kristen and I are at each other's throats, when she's driving me absolutely bonkers, when we've had our, uh, our second child and our hormones are all out of whack and she's not even the same person that I married, because that happens. When that happens, I never go, man, maybe I just misheard from the Lord. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe the grass was greener on the other side. But you cannot imagine how many marriages I have talked to and husbands and wives who, when things get difficult, they can't go back to the foundation that God said, this is, th this is for them. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God told me to marry Kristen, which means that there's nobody better for me than Kristen. But if you don't know that going in, that's how the enemy's going to get you. I may not destroy your marriage, but just know that's the lie that the enemy's going to come at you with. Cool? Isaac was guided by the prayer, or by the, by the prophetic and by prayer. Um, the fifth thing uh, I think is important to look at is Isaac was looking first for a woman of character. You notice that the thing that he prayed about, the servant, was that she went the extra mile. She went above and beyond. She did the kind and generous thing. She didn't just give water. She said, I'm going to not only give you water, I'm going to give your entire caravan water. That's a character thing. There's a reason he prayed that prayer. He was looking for a woman of godly character. 
And this applies to both genders. You need to be looking for somebody with godly character. Now you're like, listen, I get that. I know that. Of course I want someone with character. But here's what I would say. Here's where you can get a little misguided. In this season, the thing that maybe you might be the most attracted to probably isn't their character. Typically, that's just a benefit. Right? Typically, you're going physical first. And if the physical's not there, you won't even entertain the idea. And I would just say that the physical's important. You should totally be attracted to the person that you marry. That's important. But I'm also going to tell you, you may not always be attracted to that person. When she's carrying a little extra baby weight, or maybe he is. When you get old and she gets old, what happens if she gets in a horrible car accident and loses a limb or, or gets mangled? There are things outside of our control that actually is going to cause the physical attraction to wane. You, the reason you are so physically attracted right now to that person has mostly to do with your hormones, has mostly to do with the stage of life that you're in. Now, I'm not saying that you discount that, but what I am saying is that just because you don't see somebody and go, holy crap, I want that, just because you don't see that doesn't mean that that may not be the person for you. Get to know somebody, be attracted first to their godly character, and then make sure the physical attraction's there. If the character's there, but the physical attraction's not there, that's cool. Just be friends, right? But leave room for being attracted first to character because that was the thing that mattered first here. And then later it notates that Rebecca was beautiful. And I will just tell you, every one of us in the room understand that this is true. Character actually influences beauty. If you find someone that is like remotely attractive, but then you get to know their heart and you see how they were in trial and adversity and you watch them press into the Lord and give up things and like you just watched their character over time, it is very easy for that person to go from remotely attractive to, man, I just want to be around this person all the time. I remember being uh, in element, no, middle school. <laughs> you know, those were the years. Middle school, there was, this, there was this girl that I was like, man, this, she's so, she's, well, I didn't say pretty, but she was very pretty. And um, I was just like enamored with her. Every time I'd see her, I'd be like, oh my gosh, she's like stunning. And then I heard her talk to her friends and she started cussing out her friends. She was like, F this, F that, you, you F, F, F. And I'm like, and, and even as a non-Christian, I saw her and I literally instantly, I was like, that woman is very unattractive. Literally, like, as a non-Christian, I saw her character and was repulsed by her. Her physical and her character. So, leave room for being attracted to somebody's character first. But I will just say, you still should be attracted to them physically. Okay, uh, number six. Uh, uh, I'm going to bypass number six. Number six was uh, the man pursues the woman in the context of her environment. Because it's highlighted if there's time, and there's no time. It says, okay, here, I just, think it's, I just think it's worth noting that here, the man goes to her environment and spends time with her family. 
And, and what can, can sometimes happen when we're dating, and, and it might just be a culture thing, it might be an age thing, is it's like both of you are leaving your home to go do something together alone, and that's what we call dating, and it's, and it's very independent. And I would just say that if you're the man, I think it's really important that you actually don't, uh, don't just do that, and instead actually go and try to pursue her through her environment, her community, her family. Um, so I would actually say that's probably the primary difference between dating and courting. Some people have heard that terminology before. Uh, dating is very independent, and I would say courting uh, is more like you're, you're dating the family. You're, you're making an effort to get to know the family. You're, you're making an effort to be over with the family. And I realize not every family's uh, equal. My mom and dad are, are very different than your mom and dad, or perhaps just your mom, or perhaps just your dad. But I, I do think that uh, as a guy, I think it's important that you go there first because there is going to be a time where Rebecca's going to have to leave and cleave. Right? She's going to have to leave. And so you don't, need to, you don't need to do that prematurely because, like, as you're dating, Okay. Um, number seven. Oh, there were only there were only eight things. This is a big one. Um, in this in this in this story, it was evident to all that God was in the relationship. Remember, remember the story. She she brings them back, and and uh, the servant starts telling the whole story. And Laban and Bethuel. This is what they say. This thing comes from the Lord. And I think, one, this speaks to why it's really important that you go and pursue in the context of her environment and her family. But I also think this speaks to the importance of being in community. If everybody in your life is like, I'm not so sure about this, it's probably not the Lord. I'm just going to tell you. Now, there's always room for, for me to be wrong. But if everybody in your life and you're grounded in community, and you've got mentors and, and spiritual parents, and perhaps your real parents are your spiritual parents, and, and you've got friends who are like running with you, and they're in the trenches with you, and everybody's going, this doesn't feel right. It may even look right on paper, but it doesn't feel right. You should probably second guess it. That's a big red flag. But if everybody responds like Laban does, this is of the Lord. That's like a huge um, green flag. We talk about red flags all the time. That's a huge green flag. If everybody in your life and everybody in her life are like, this just is right. I love this. That's going to go really well for you. So again, I think that's why it's so important that you go and pursue her family. And then the last. Isaac was a man of prayer. Remember the cutscene? What was Isaac doing? He was praying. He, the guy went to go get his wife, and then it just cuts over randomly to Isaac praying. He has no idea when they're coming. But her first um, picture of Isaac was this is a man of prayer. Isn't that amazing? And she asked the question, who is this man? Now look. This is why this is really important. I'm going to give you as practical as I can. I interact with a lot of marriages, either at a pastoral capacity or either as a friend because I'm married and therefore all of my friends are married, <laughs> right? And I'm involved in a lot of marriages. And because of my, my role as pastor, people will just confide in me whether I'm their pastor or not. I'm like, dude, we're totally friends right now. And they're like, yeah, but I really need help with this. And I'm like, oh. I'm just kidding. I don't do that. 
I really like it. But I'm, can I just tell you, here is where the enemy is robbing our people blind right now. Our men are not men of the word and men of prayer. They're saved and they're Christians, but they're not up in the mornings or in the evenings praying and seeking God on behalf of their marriage and their families. And so here's what happens. They're leading in their own accord, according to their own desires, to their own emotional whims. And they're often going, well, I think this is the Lord. And here's where the Lord, here's where the enemy starts driving apart marriages and bringing real tension. If the head is not doing his job, of the, if the head of the marriage is not doing his job and is not pursuing the Lord, the woman will easily look at him and go, you are now untrustworthy. How could I trust you to lead our home if you can't even pray? Now that sounds super accusatory, but I'm telling you, that is so real. Young marriages, old marriages, all of them. Fellas, if you, this is so specific to you, if you do not develop the habit now of being a man of prayer and devotion to the word, you are unfit to lead your home. You just are. And the time to get that in your system, to the time to, to get that in a, as a value system for you, and the time to get that ingrained as a habit for you is now is while you're single. So that when you're married, dude, your wife looks at you and she trusts you 100%. Now, here's the thing. Let me, let me can I just tell you my marriage? Um, I told you guys, uh, I don't know, this is probably five months ago. I, I shared with you very vulnerably um, the pitfalls um, that I, and my weaknesses uh, that I fell into when I was uh, uh, like newlywed. I was a jerk. Um, I was 21 when, I was 21 when we got engaged and I was 22 when we got married and she was 26, okay? And she was much more seasoned in the Lord uh, and she was really all around far more mature than me. But I was arrogant. I, I led with an iron fist. I, was, I, was, I would tell her what she could and couldn't do. I was a total jerk. And if you ask her today, how on earth did you get through it? This is what she says. She goes, I knew he was a man of prayer and I knew he was in the word. And so I knew it was only a matter of time before he changed. She goes, I could trust him. He's demonstrated to me that he's willing to be taught by the Holy Spirit. And so he doesn't have to be perfect now, but he needs to put himself in a position where he's willing to grow. But if I hadn't done that, guys, our marriage would have been horrible. One, I would have never grown. And two, she would have been resentful and angry at me because she's like, are you kidding me? You can't lead your own relationship with the Lord. How are you supposed to lead our family? And so now is the time to be like Isaac. Isaac was praying before he was ever married to Rebecca. So get that, guys. Get that ingrained in you. Safeguard your marriage in the future by doing what's right now. Cool? Now, here's the, here's the bad part, ladies. You're, you decide to get married, and he does not do those things, you're stuck. You're stuck. You still got to let him lead. You still got to follow him off a cliff. Death do us part. Unless he's in some crazy kind of sin, yeah, you're, you're together. 
And so let that be sobering for you as you're entertaining the thought of dating this guy who looks great because he's mentally healthy and financially secure and has drive and he has all the right things, but he's lacking in the spiritual department. Just know you're stuck with him. Cool? All right. Lord, let's stand. Lord, thank you for the gift of marriage. Thank you for the gift of singleness. Ultimately, God, we want you. We want you in our marriages, but we want you right now. For those who are single in the room, I ask God that you would give them clarity on if they're supposed to remain single. If they have that as a spiritual gift, they may pour out their lives as a drink offering to you. Or for those who feel like I've got I've to have an outlet and I really do need to be married. That's a huge desire of my heart. I ask Holy Spirit that you lead them, that you make it as little, as least awkward as you possibly can. Uh, and uh, we trust that just like in the story of Isaac and Rebecca, you are very capable of, of finding that one person and putting them in the path uh, right in front of the right person. So, Lord, we love you and uh, we trust you. So in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next episode.